Hello, and welcome back to SpinalCast. I'm your host, David Stevens, and joining us today is Matthew Roderick. Matthew, thanks for joining us. I'm glad to be here. Honored to be uh, asked uh, for an interview. Thank you. Perfect. So Matthew is an executive director for Unite to Fight Paralysis, uh, and he's also an advocate and uh, activist for the SCI community, and uh, we're excited to have you here on the podcast. Um, So without further ado, I think we should just get into it. Let's, let's go. All right. Perfect. So I guess first question I would have would be what got you involved with spinal cord injury in the first place? Sure. Um, uh, like a lot of people, uh, it was my son who was not, not a lot of people whose son was injured, but a family member. Okay. Uh, so in 2008, my son was a, uh, about 15, a couple of weeks before his 16th birthday. He was on a student exchange program. Mm. Uh, body surfing in the Pacific, uh, dove under a wave, hit a sandbar, hyperextended, and broke his neck. Uh, as as with a lot of people in our community, that you know completely upended our lives. Uh, yeah, and um, you know pretty much everything stopped for a while. Right, and um, shortly thereafter, left my career, uh, became my son's caregiver, and companion, uh, uh, traveler, uh, best friend, coach, trainer, you know, all that sort of stuff for the next couple of years. And then as he adjusted to his injury and and became a little more independent, moved on out uh, on his own, then I became an advocate and activist eventually uh, for the community. Awesome. So you you mentioned that he was abroad when the injury happened. Um, Whereabouts in the the world as far as abroad is concerned? Yeah, sure. He was in Costa Rica. Okay. Uh, Specifically, the injury happened at Manuel Antonio State Park, which is on the edge of the rainforest. Uh, It was, um, I think it was a week, I can't even remember now, a week or two weeks into the student exchange program where all these kids from all over Mm -hmm. went to a variety of families all over the country in Costa Rica. And they all came back to gather. They were having a barbecue on the beach. And then it was just play right. day, you know, fun day. Um, and in that afternoon, he uh, sustained a spinal cord injury, which was a drag. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, thank you for the background on, sure, sure. on Gabriel and, and kind of that story and how you've gotten into this. Um, jumping more to the work you've done um, as an advocate, uh, I think you were pretty pivotal in the passing of the Minnesota SCI TBI research grant program mm-hmm. um, at, in the state of Minnesota. And I was just kind of interested in, in that process and just having you talk a little bit more about that, that sure. program. Um, well, I, I mean, the, the, the great full circle thing is um, the idea for that effort came when I discovered the organization that I now work for, um, which was back in 2010, I went to uh, one of Unite to Fight Paralysis annual symposia. Mm. And it was there that I think that was, it was either 2010 or 2011, one of those years uh, in Phoenix, uh, they, they do an annual science and advocacy meeting that used to be called Working to Walk. And I went there and I heard someone talk about or present uh, something about the passage of a state bill yeah, um, and how it supported research. And then there were other presentations there of people who had been recipients of that kind of state funding. And 
I, I paid very close attention to that and I talked to a few people and as soon as I got back from that meeting, I called up my representative and I said, hey, here's what I want to try to do. Yeah. And uh, that was 2011 and uh, I, I got my, my butt kicked a few times around the Capitol because you know I didn't know anything, I was very green. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine anybody for the first time yeah. knows anything. That's, yeah, um, it's an unfair advantage. Yeah, but it's like you know, you're you're a, you're a rookie and an idealist, yeah. and, and right. you're passionate. You want to do something for your kid, and people like him. And you know, to you, it's kind of a no-brainer. You were just at a meeting where you realize, uh, you know, advances in science are coming from, you know, they're being sort of percolated up via you know this uh, this funding mechanism right. that's been. Uh, passed in a, a number of states, on mostly on the East Coast and also in California in the 90s, and um, I got a I got a very quick education into um, you know other people's money and buckets of money and uh, protected uh, initiatives and programs. Uh, but long and short of it, over the next few years, uh, I started to learn, started to pay attention. Uh, Unite to Fight Paralysis connected me with a number of advocates from around the country and, and even in Europe and Asia, had regular meetings to strategize. I learned a lot um, from them that really built the bones of what became the bill that we passed in 2015. After a lot of people from the community um, joined in, that took, that took a couple of years. Yeah. Um, if my wife was here, she'd tell you how often I would come home from the Capitol and complain that... <laughs> You know, nobody's showing up. Nobody believes this is possible. Right. Like, um, but slowly, you know, a handful of people started to buy in and commit. Um, the folks that would end up, uh, we founded Get Up, Stand Up to Cure Paralysis, kind of out of that effort, which is a local nonprofit that's, you know, running a peer support group and funding some research and uh, activity-based therapy uh, initiatives. Uh, so we passed the bill in 2015. It was a, a million-dollar appropriation, uh, really based on uh, fundamentally four things: that it was going to be a competitive program, uh, open to anyone doing the research, so not institution-specific. Uh, one that it would have low indirect cost rates, which a lot of the large institutions have very high indirect cost rates mm. for uh, granting research. You know, 50, 60 percent even uh, of of you know so. 50 cents of every dollar right. goes into the indirect keeping lights on and right. et cetera. Overhead, um, basically. Yeah, so we mandated a low uh, 8% indirect cost rate. We also used language that was very targeted. So we wanted to give uh, preference to research that was pursuing recovery of function for people living with the injury. It's kind of a, a tame way of saying cure for mm -hmm. chronic injury, right. uh, which was very specific for us. And then lastly, and most importantly, uh, we wanted to place people with spinal cord injuries and people like myself, family members, on an advisory board that would oversee alongside experts, clinicians, researchers um, with equal weight uh, to, to sort of prioritize, okay, what are we going to fund and yeah. why and to what end? And so those four things really kind of made the bones of the research. It was successful right out of the gate and two years later, we went from a million to six million uh, wow. appropriation, and it still uh, exists to this day. That's fantastic. I love the the story of persistence there, um, and 
you know, the importance of persistence is, is really key. Uh, I also like how the program utilizes people from the scientific community along with people who are maybe not as scientific in their um, background because I think that's very key to making valuable decisions is having people from different backgrounds. And I think a lot of times um, when you get a lot of really, really smart people in one room, if they're all really, really smart at the same thing, they can, you know, arrive to some different conclusions. So um, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. I th- I, I, for me, I, I didn't know it at the time. Um, I was getting, I was getting an informal education from the organization that I mentioned that I now work for and run, United Fight Paralysis, which is very committed to this notion of if, if the spinal cord injury community um, believes and wants there to be curative treatments, then they need to educate themselves about this research system, mm-hmm. not just science itself, but the sort of system around the science yeah. um, in order to, to appropriately and effectively influence it and uh, primarily to bring the experience of our reality to that system. Right. And I mean, that, that thinking has matured over time, uh, but I, you know, sort of not fully appreciating or recognizing the importance and value of the people who are closest to the problem need to be at the table to solve it. Totally. And so that's what we've been trying to build through. And so since Minnesota, we passed uh, similar bills in Washington State Ohio, Pennsylvania, and now we're very close to passing in Wisconsin. Fantastic. Um, and then we're still working in a couple other states that are a little further out. But And these um, are all efforts through Unite to Fight Paralysis. Yeah. And are, what other initiatives are kind of going on there um, that you're you're heading up or you're involved uh, with? Unite to Fight Paralysis? Yeah. yeah. Sure. So um, let's kind of like jump into oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. I just figured we could kind of, you know, veer off a little bit and get a little more into yeah, that, sure, sure. that side of... of uh, well, obviously, things. so one, we call it the Cure Advocacy Network or CAN, uh, and that's our state initiative. We have a couple of guys, uh, both who have injuries, Jake Beckstrom, Jason Stouffer, um, who run that program. Okay. Um, and we essentially, you know, reach out to our community or our community reach out and reaches out to us. They hear about what we accomplished and said, Hey, can we do it in, you know, like that's what happened in Ohio, uh, and Pennsylvania. They reached out to us and said, Hey, we want to do that here. Um, can, can you help us? Right. Um, and so that's one facet of what we do. Uh, we also continue to do our annual symposium. Uh, we dropped the work in the walk a couple of years ago. We just call it the U2FP Annual Science and Advocacy Symposium. It's a, a scientific meeting mm-hmm. that is created, curated, designed, executed by our community, uh, people with spinal cord injury and uh, family members like me. Uh, the idea is, again, to put the lens of the lived experience on top of the science and present a very highly scientific meeting, which is um, uh, intended to educate and mobilize and engage our community towards advocacy initiatives. Um, we also do a podcast like, oh, yeah. like you guys. Yeah, I remember you um, talking about that. Called CureCast. Uh, we've done a little over 70 episodes. Uh, mostly we interview scientists um, kind of, you know, grab the state of, of research. We also do some advocacy stuff and some educational stuff. We're going to do a, a, a series coming up here on 
uh, spinal stimulation, uh, which is very popular in the minds yeah. of a lot of people with spinal cord injury. The epidermal stimulator epidural, stuff. Yeah. Epidural. Yes. Yep. Epidural, yes. transcutaneous, uh, percutaneous. There's a you know there's some other uh, variations, but um, what we what we've been sort of paying attention to is that a lot of people in the community don't really understand what it is, what it's doing, what it's not doing. Uh, and who some of the players are and who the history is. So we're going to kind of do a whole series to try to unpack that and really help people understand what's going on. That's awesome. Um, we also uh, have a scientific advisory board, um, which is a service that's utilized to nonprofits. Um, we're kind of pivoting that away, as you all know, uh, Peter knows, that uh, we're trying to attract science SEI foundations that fund science into really highly impactful translational, uh, translational research projects Okay. Uh, collectively. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these different foundations, um, you know, they might fund a couple, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, what if we could put those dollars together across five or six foundations? Now we can fund something um, maybe more significant uh, and more translationally ready meaning like how do you get a discovery towards human beings and on a pathway towards commercialization towards clinical implementation yeah um uh, we also do a we have a new program that we call lab rats where we uh we have about 15 people with spinal cord injuries who are acting as consultants in research labs so like we're placing them in a lab either virtually or in person uh, you know, in a weekly or monthly meeting with um, uh, SCI Research Lab to talk about the lived experience and, you know, kind of find out what the lab is doing, answer any questions for the students or uh, postdocs or even principal investigators uh, yeah. to kind of, again, foster a relationship between those who live with the injury and those who research the injury. I, that is so unbelievably pivotal and from the from the doctors we've interviewed on this show and that i've met through my time with mcpf it's been you know every single one of them has a very specific connection with spinal cord injury and it's typically through someone who's been injured and remembering that person and and keeping that person in mind and helping that drive their want and their will and um i think you know when you get really down in the weeds uh in your in your lab it's probably very difficult to keep that at the top of your mind. And so I like that idea. It is, and it's, I mean, it's very nice to hear you say that from the scientists you've interviewed. My estimation is that that's not common. Oh. So a lot of folks are in this field or doing this work and have really had little contact to no contact with a person with a spinal cord injury um, and really don't understand, you know, necessarily what people are dealing with or living with. you know, we have a few stories of where um, uh, experiments have been um, re-engineered because of the input of a person with spinal cord injury saying, you know, that isn't, that's not really how it is like, right. in life. You know, so like if you really want to model your animal study to something that's clinically relevant, you might want to do it this way. Yeah. Um, we've had a couple of those instances. Um, I mean, it's great to hear, and I do know there's plenty of scientists out there who do have relationships no, absolutely. or even got into this work because of some connection like that. Well, and I think it's, but it's, your, your point is valid as well. I mean, there are going to be, you know, extremes in all directions, yeah. but I think it's key that your, your organization is making it a point to make sure that 
people who have suffered an injury and are dealing with it on a daily basis are as involved as they possibly can yeah. be and keep them at the forefront um, because that's how that's how you drive change for those individuals versus yeah and I, I and I do want to acknowledge that this is a shift that's been happening across the field um, uh, CDMRP which is the con congressionally directed medical research program has a division that's called SCRP, which is the Spinal Cord Injury Research Program. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, when they started, they began to mandate that if you're going to get funded by the DOD through this SCRP program, you have to have a consultant in your lab. Um, and they had sort of stipulations around what that was so that they were trying to make it so it's not tokenized. Yeah. You, know, you don't have somebody sitting in the corner you know, reading a book, right. or you know, but they're actually engaged in this project in some way or another. Um, the North American SEI Consortium, uh, which I, I was I was on the executive council when it formed, uh, is now about to launch their education portal, which is a way uh, in a lot of different areas like advocacy, but also like science acumen to help people with spinal cord injuries ready themselves so they could also participate like this. So there's a, there's a number of areas where this is growing. Um, we kind of launched our lab rats, just we knew that it's something we could, we had good relationships with scientists, good relationships with, with the community, let's, let's go make this happen. Um, so uh, I, I think it's something that we're gonna see continued growth in. We're even trying to make some efforts with other funders to look at how they might do what the DOD is doing uh, similarly. You know, Very how cool. do you get more community involvement into the research process? Well, that you started kind of talking about this a little bit with the education piece, but that, that does kind of raise a question for me of, you know, these people or lab rats, as you, you've, uh, you know, alluded to, do they have some sort of background in science so that they have some knowledge going in so it's not completely um you know they're in the dark and unable to have a conversation with these people yeah I, I mean honestly amongst our group it really runs the gamut so you have people uh like we have a guy in our group uh, yet to be placed in a lab he's a, a neurosurgeon oh. um ran clinical trials uh then sustained an injury from a cycling accident um have uh, people in other areas of science, like engineering. Yeah. Um, um, some who are just very interested in the science and who've kind of done some self-education. Totally. And then others who know very little, yeah. you know, to nothing and are willing to engage. And learn. And so we had, we had a group of five or six that worked with um, a couple of researchers at Texas A&M who published, just recently published a few months back, a clinical trial survey. You know, what's happening, looking at clinicaltrials.gov, which is the main, you know, source of, you know, where you go to find the clinical trials in spinal cord injury and other conditions. Right. Um, and look at, okay, well, what's being done? What is, what are the trials that are happening? What, um, what are they researching? Who are they? Where are they? That kind of stuff. And so we sent five or six people with SEI to consult with them, and they brought a whole host of other questions, you know, sort of looking a little deeper than the basic, well, you know, are, are scientists doing what the community wants was the basic question. Right. And the people with SEI were like, well, wait a minute, there's some other things we need to know. Like, well, what is, is this a clinical trial or is this human clinical research? Is this moving to the FDA to get approval for something? Or right. is somebody just asking a question? 
or are they just like throwing stuff against the wall to see if it sticks? You know, like very experimental. They also wanted to know, well, who's funding these things? Right. Um, they wanted to know who's collaborating. They wanted to know well, within the- categories, like why is everybody seeming to do neuromodulation now, like spinal stimulation, because that's the hot topic and there's money available. And should they be all doing that? Do they have the expertise? So they were asking a lot more sort of complex and nuanced questions. Which it's a were, complicated hierarchy as well. It is. Yeah. I, my, I mean, this isn't totally related, but my brother is a, a professor at Madison mm-hmm. and he's been working in academia now for, you know, five, six, seven, I don't know, 10 years now. And it's a completely different world from what I've I've grown to learn in my own, you know, business sense. And so mm-hmm. I can only imagine that the scientific community is very similar and that the hierarchy and how things get funded or where money comes from and who's doing what and why you would submit this there and not over <laughs> yeah, here. And it's yeah, like, yeah. it's also all over the place. I'm glad that they were willing to ask those questions and get that clarity. So, well, and that, you know, it's, to, when you bring that up, uh, I'll just, I'll throw the last thing in of what U2FP does over the last few years. What we have established are these, what we call work groups. Mm. Uh, you could think of them as like think tanks. Yeah. And we've created several of them now. One is uh, focused on uh, translational research, which I mentioned earlier is this kind of idea of how does a scientific discovery in a lab somewhere, in a dish or in an animal, how does that discovery become a treatment? Like, what does that pipeline look like or that wheel that a lot of people refer to the translational wheel? I invited a number of scientists, clinicians, and Spinal Cord Injury Foundations about three and a half years ago. Would you be willing to form a group with me? Uh, We meet uh, twice a month and have for three and a half years to sort of uh, do what you guys do here in this company. Right. Um, A a system analysis. What's the problem space? What's going on in this space that are disincentivizing or obstacles to things moving forward? And then from that analysis, can we set a sort of recommendation space, like a solution space? Mm-hmm. And then from that solution space, can we syndicate those recommendations? So not just like publish a paper and say, hey, we think you should do this, but actually embody something, a consortium or a leading group or a, um, or a, a bunch of different groups to say, we're going to enact these recommendations and see what happens. And then lastly, towards, uh, essentially towards uh, the delivery of combinatorial treatments for spinal cord injury. So we've been meeting, um, uh, looking at these sort of system problems. You know, like we talked about your brother. Yep. And there's politics, there's, there's money, there's, right. there's incentives, there's disincentives. You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of the scientists that um, we've talked to within the translational working group we just interviewed uh, over 70, you could call stakeholders in this space. People with spinal cord injury, clinicians, researchers, funders of science, right. and entrepreneurs, like people who started companies, and asked them, what are the problems? What are the disincentives? What, do you, what would you fix if you could? Right. And what it would look like? And you know, one of the things we heard from scientists is that the one thing that I'm not, uh, my performance is not measured on is what I discover. What I'm measured on is how many grants do I get? How many publications do I put out? In what kind of journals? Yeah. How many students came to my lab and through my lab? Where did they come from? Where did they go? What kind of service did I do? Like was I in study sections? Would I review 
uh, journal publications, you know, what kind of help did I do that a lot of this to draw attention to the university that I work for, the system that I work for to increase its status. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really measured on, well, what did I discover? All that and what work does it mean? I did, yeah. Yeah, what does it mean to people who have the condition that I'm researching, no matter what, you know, beyond spinal cord injury. But you know, that's a, that's a wake up call. You know, and I don't I don't disparage any of those scientists They're, We're all working within this system that a lot of people forget, which I think is a human problem. Like we all live in these ecosystems. We inhabit these ecosystems totally that we don't necessarily understand how they work, you know, or who's why am I incentivized to go left here instead of right or right. straight? And, you know, like, should I even go for, you know, like totally. all those questions, we don't think about them. No. And so I think you, what we believe at U2FP is you need somebody who cares about these questions and ask them right. in the right places with the right people at the right time to see what we can influence to help our community get treatments that are meaningful. That's awesome. And I so, think it's, it's cool that you were able to get that level of transparency with the people you interviewed too. I think that's probably a difficult point for, for people to take a step back and look from a hundred feet at themselves and say, what really is the problems here? What am I actually facing? I think we all get so, you know, droned in on, on what it is we're doing. It can be hard to step back and look at things like that. So that, that sort of transparency is very cool. Um, so, kind of a uh, yeah i just want to say well like add one more little piece is like the other thing is i don't want to get too way too much in the weeds or nuance but the other part is like i don't know that everybody like all the things i described yeah i think there are some scientists and i I know there sometimes that would say well there's nothing wrong with that like the 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 system is designed in a certain way or set up in a certain way that if it works right it's going to deliver those discoveries. Right. You know, and so again, it's not, you know, there's no, it's like it, it, sometimes early on in my advocacy, I would get angry. Like these are things that would really infuriate me, you know, get me agitated and I'd be looking for villains, you know, like mm-hmm. in the, like in the system. And right. I, I'm not like that anymore. I think, I mean, there are probably some villains out there somewhere, but everywhere. It's really this like, there, there are people, and I think most of us are like this, like, we just want to believe that the systems work, you know, like 100%. everything is like kind of made like it's supposed to be made. And at the end of the day, I think people with a spinal cord injury, people who live through something so traumatic, um, so difficult, so challenging, you know, and the higher, you guys know, I mean, Peter's high level injury, so demanding. Um, it's us who are able to say, wait, you know, this isn't, this system we have isn't good enough right now. Like we, there's some tweaks and adjustments that we can make to improve it because there are people who really need it. I don't, I don't think everybody appreciates how much it is needed. Well, and it's the blind hope that is given by everybody who is dealt with an injury and not involved with an organization like yourself. Um, that you know they don't have the ability to get themselves in front of and make sure that this is all happening correctly there there has to be this blind faith that the system is working and so it's it's refreshing to hear <laughs> that organizations like yourself are there doing this work so that 
there is some sort of standing for that blind faith. There yeah. is a there is someone out there who's looking out for them and saying we are going to make sure that this is going the way it needs to go to get you the help that you need. And I think that's that's pivotal. Yeah. And sometimes challenge, you know, I was I, I, a scientist once told me, I won't name person's name, that, you know, we're here to give hope to people like you. And I said, hmm, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you're here to deliver discoveries that are meaningful to my community, not to instill hope in me that someday you're going to do something. <laughs> right. you're, here, you're here to make discoveries and use your scientific knowledge and brilliance and passion and work and connection to deliver something. Right. You know, because hope, hope, hope could be an empty, hope, painful, well, painful. Hope doesn't make anybody walk. Process, right? Exactly. Absolutely, yeah. I totally understand that. So, yeah. kind of the last question here before I, I think we close out. What are some strategies that you have for you know future advocacy, and that you're hoping to kind of dive into a bit further in the future here? Sure. Um, well, I've, I've hinted at one of them, which is this translational work group. We run a couple of others. Um, similarly, uh, in other sectors, like we do, uh, we're working on neuromodulation, uh, convening a lot of scientists that do that work and looking at, okay, how do we, this is the first thing that looks like it's going to be meaningful for people with spinal cord injuries, not a cure by any stretch of the imagination, at least what I know of it, um, uh, even though sometimes it gets maybe hyped like that in the media or even in, even in our community. It's not curative, uh, but it might restore some functions that are meaningful enough for us to pay attention to. Well, I, I think you raise a really good point there. It's something we, we were talking about this company, Clientech, uh, that we're recording in here. One of the big things that we push for um, is we want to give value early and often, even if it's a small amount, but regular delivery of value is very key to keeping people driven and keeping people excited. And so being able, to, even though it might not be a cure, if it's a benefit, a very realizable, if that's a word, uh, benefit, that's really key to those people. I mean, if, if I can get, if, I, if I've been in a wheelchair like Peter for, for 20 some odd years and I've never moved my toes and all of a sudden you tell me I can do this and all of a sudden I'll be able to move my toes, that's a bigger deal than I think a lot of people think it is just in the mentality of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, really complicated and nuanced in our community. Um, because those things have to have meaningful impact, you know? So for instance, like using spinal stimulation, there are people who've moved their legs, right? And that, uh, I mean, I've talked to them and they, for the first time in years, right? That, that all of a sudden they are with their, through their own voluntary control are moving their foot or kicking out their leg or that, you know, that's exciting. Yes. But is it functional? Right. Like does, it, uh, does it mean they're gonna walk? No. Does it mean they might be able to transfer themselves without the help of a caregiver? Maybe. Does it mean they could maybe stand up for a period of time to um, to have that demand placed on their cardiovascular system and get them off right. their butt, you know, for pressure sort. Like, there are really difficult questions that have to be sort of mined to understand, well, how meaningful is this? Right. Right, because you could take that, uh, you know, you could sort of, look, I'm, I'm not much of an incrementalist, even though I, sometimes I get accused of it. Like, I'm, I want a full-blown regenerative cure from my son, right. Peter, and 
you know, all the people that I know. That's that's my brass ring goal vision. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, man, there are fires that are burning for people now, you know, with with accelerated aging and, and hypertrophy and, and or, or, you know, loss of musculature, um, bone loss, pressure sores, you know, infections, cardiovascular disease, you know, all kinds of st- complicated things. Totally. Or even just psychologically the need to have dependents and or caregivers and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you can't neglect that. And so there's this really weird tension in our community between getting the, the system to do something truly innovative and not just say, oh, well, we're going to fix spasticity, right? Or we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to target some singular condition, like we're going to fix your bladder so you don't have to catheterize anymore. Right. I'm of the opinion, like some, and I think more few scientists, that if you can get at the source of the problem, there's a mechanical injury to the spinal cord, mm-hmm. and you've lost cells, you've lost connections, and there's some secondary complications that come from that. If you can get to the source of it and fix it, you've fixed a whole host of those problems, mm-hmm. even if you fix them a little bit. And so it's really, it's really complex to sort of figure out what your targets are in this community. And that's where, so back to your question, like one kind of overarching theme for us that's been guiding how we think about the coming years and the work that we do. You know, I mentioned all the different initiatives that we do. We're probably going to stick with most of them. Um, we do find that these work groups are really effective place to sort of play this out is if you think about um, this system, a lot of people use the metaphor of a wheel, translational wheel. Okay. You go from discovery across the wheel to uh, the translation towards models that mimic humans to humans to research to vetting to commercialization and dissemination broadly, globally, right? right? So you this wheel of bringing something around and then it feeds back into the wheel. You've done it in humans and you've learned things and you go back to the bench, you know, bench to bedside. You may have heard that kind of term. Well, taking that image of the wheel, one of the things that has been guiding us for a little while now is the idea that spinal cord injury, the lived experience is the hub of that wheel. Everybody who's in this process is connected to that hub. Right. You're a scientist, you're researching it. If you're a clinician, you're treating it. If you're an activist like me, you're trying to influence this system to pay attention to the hub. If you're a capitalist, an entrepreneur, you're trying to make money off this thing right. and help people. Right. So there's, everybody's connected to this hub. And if you take that as a bicycle wheel, the rim of the wheel is how you get from here to there, or the tire, whatever. You can mm-hmm. you know, explore the metaphor how you want. Yeah. Everybody connects to the hub through a spoke. Right. So they are that spoke. I'm a scientist, I'm a clinician, I'm a funder of science, public or private, Peter Morton, or NIH. Right? Yep. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm gonna start a company to help a discovery get out into the world. Right. Um, each of them are spoke. The way the wheel stays true is Having enough spokes. And? Having them spread out all over the place. Enough tension. Uh-huh. Those spokes have to be tightened against one another 
right? Yeah. All around the wheel. Anybody who's had a bicycle wheel and who's done a lot, I used to ride a lot. Yeah. My wheels would go out of true all the time. I uh, commuted and city wheel riding wobble. potholes. Wheel right? wobble. Yeah, and your wheel wobbles <laughs> and it's no longer going straight. Right. right. Or it's inefficient to keep it going straight. Yeah. So you have to create an effective tension between those players. And the way that metaphor works in our minds is because the scientist is looking at their dashboard. A person with spinal cord injury is looking at the reality of their experience. A clinician is looking at, uh, here's how I treat people. What happens is each of their realities are not necessarily merging or overlapping. Right. Right. A scientist might be doing something that is of no concern or consequence to a person living with a spinal cord injury. Or they might think they've discovered something that a clinician says, well, I could never. How are you going to treat that? Right. How are we going to get insurance to pay for this? How are we going to, you know, like everybody has a different, the entrepreneur might say, well, we can't, that's great, but we can't make money off that. It's a one-time treatment. It's going to cost $500 million you right. know, to get whatever. Like we can't turn that into a product. And so everybody has to have a say to keep this thing on target and on track with the hub, people who live with this injury. Right. So that's that's kind of like a guiding principle. I hope that makes sense. It, like it's not a very specific. We're going to do one, two, three. Yeah, no. But we're going to use this notion of how do we promote effective tension between these core spokes, these core players to make this wheel run straight, run smooth and get from A to B yeah. for our community. That's kind of the, the driving principle behind what we're trying to do. That. Couldn't have been a better way to finish this off. That was a <laughs> that was a great analogy. The the metaphor I think was very well well put. So, thank you again for for joining us today on on SpinalCast. Thanks for having me. Everyone, really honored to have to to be here. Really perfect, perfect. Well, everyone on YouTube, uh, there's going to be information about Matthew Unite to Fight Paralysis, all sorts of stuff. We're going to put it all in the description. So make sure you head down there and check it out. While you're there, you might as well, you know, give us a like, comment, subscribe, all those good things. If you're listening to us on a podcast platform, you could always give us a follow. Um, otherwise, uh, thanks again, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again soon. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I just want to give a shameless plug for my son, Gabriel. Oh, absolutely. Who goes by Freak. You can find him on Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, um, gigging musician, really fantastic stuff. Awesome. Uh, but really writes out of... Uh, a lot of the work that he's done really comes out of this place of living with a spinal cord injury. So those of you out there in the community haven't heard of him, uh, you might want to check him out. You Perfect. may not like his music. Like, his, you know, it's a little... It's stylized. Yeah, it's, it's his style. But, um, Perfect. But I think the lyrics, man, you just would be moved by. So shameless plug. Awesome. We'll thanks put for that in the me. description too. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Appreciate thanks, it. everybody. We'll see you in a month.